Yeah, I, you know, I think for me, the other thing that I really love about fiction and something that is, it comes into all of my fiction is the sort of childish belief that I have that there are things um, just outside the realm of reality that, you know, that, that we think we see or we kind of think we interact with. And I love to write stories about those things. Well, that was one of my favorite writers and good friends, Sean Smucker. Uh, Sean has just come out with a new novel called Light from Distant Stars, and it's gorgeous. Some of his best writing yet. And uh, I got a chance to talk to Sean about that book, but also all about the process of writing and what went into his writing of this book how he comes up with ideas and structures them, the kind of disciplines that he needs to do in order to do good writing and get good feedback and just and kind of take a concept from an idea and a character into establishing the conflict that he or she has to get over and then how to resolve it and all the things in between. And so if you're a writer, I think you're going to love this conversation in terms of really helpful help. Uh, We talked about what kind of feedback to get, and we talked about what kinds of stories that are really interesting. And even if you're a nonfiction writer like me, we talked about what are some of the themes that seem to be needing, seem to be needed in the world right now. So enjoy this conversation with Sean Smucker. Sean Smucker. Hello, my friend. (laughs) Steve, man, I have, I've just been looking forward to this ever since, you know, you sent me the text. I, I just couldn't wait. Oh man. I love you. I miss you. And it was like a year ago that you guys came out last summer. Almost. It was almost a year ago, August. The year. Yeah. Uh, So, and I keep joking, like I'm going to jump in my car and just head that way, you know, with a pack of cigarettes and some Slim Jims or something like that. If you don't do that at some point in (laughs) our lives, I I will be really disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you are just... Honestly, I know it's your kind of your full-time gig, but you really are prolific in terms of writing. Um, so we're going to talk about your new book that's that is out now. Yay! Uh, Light from distant stars, uh, so good. We're going to talk about that, but before we do that, I just want to ask you, Sean, if it's okay, we'll dive right in. Yes. Just some general like writing questions. Some of that is for any listeners who who might be dabbling with writer with writing or writers. But some of it's for me too, mm-hmm. man, because I actually have a an idea which I'm not going to share, but I do have an idea. Nice. I do have for an idea novel? for a novel, which scares uh-huh. me to death. I love it. it I love it. But uh, so we're going to get into it. So um, number one. Uh, where do you where do you get your ideas for your books? Um, how, how do they how do you zero in on it? And then what is the general idea for this book, Light from Distant Stars? Mm. And where did it come from? Yeah, so I um, I usually come at it with a question. I usually have some kind of a question that's um, forefront in my mind, and I didn't really know what to call that until I came out to your place. Uh, last summer and you were talking about midrash yeah and I think a lot of you know a lot of the process that I go through is really similar to that I mean with the day the angels fell the main question was could it be possible that death is a gift Um, and that was you know out of the whole question of what happened next with uh, the creation story and that sort of thing Uh, with light from distant stars there were a couple of questions that kind of converged with the main character one of them having to do with fathers and sons and the relationship of fathers and sons. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, I think I'm at that age I'm 42 and my dad is 63 and we were, we were close when I was a little kid, you know, like he was, he was a great dad, still is a great dad. Um, but when we, when I was small, we had this very particular kind of relationship based around things like baseball and, um, activities, things that we love to do together. And then when I grew up and went to college, 
um, you know, there was sort of a falling away, not, not because of any, any conflict or anything, but just our, the, the direction of our lives kind of took us apart for a while. As I went off to college, got married, moved away from the area for like 10 years. And, um, and now I'm back in the area. My, my family and I live close to where my parents live. And, you know, I can kind of sense us, I don't know, like just getting to know each other again, you know, like he's, I kind of, I have a much better appreciation, I think, for what he went through as my father. And I don't know, there's just a whole different level of things happening relationally. And so I really wanted to explore that between the main character Cohen in this book and his dad. And, and they have a, a, a huge falling apart when he's younger um, that really sort of alienates him from his dad. And then, you know, the story is about his dad on his deathbed and the, the, the exploration process that, that Cohen undertakes really in an effort to try and rediscover his father and, uh, you know, rediscover what went wrong and where they are now. Yeah. I sort of love that too, when the chips are down and it's deathbed stuff, there's this, um, you know, like you're facing your dad's mortality. Of course you have to face your own mortality too. Right. I mean, there's just, yeah. that's, that question is just lingering in there. So like, as you, as you, as you dive in, do you, do you plot out the whole thing before you start writing or do you have the main, some main sections and you don't quite know how you're going to get from here to there? What's your process like? I usually start with a character, um, and I, I'm not a huge plotter in the very beginning, but normally I try and get 10 to 15,000 words under my belt, getting to know this character better, sticking them in a setting and, and figuring out what the main conflict is going to be at about 15 to 20,000 words. I do start to try and plot a general direction. I usually have the climax in mind at that point where things are headed um, because as I've found in the past, you know, when I was a younger writer, I just wanted to do it all on inspiration and follow a character and see what happened. And it would usually just like, I would get lost mm-hmm. like the character, you know, I'd be 40, 50,000 words in and suddenly realize, Oh my goodness, there's not a story here. Like nothing's happening or, um, and, and so to avoid that, I do try and look ahead after I get started. Yeah. Um, that's helpful, I think, because, and that makes sense to me that I think I'm sure certain writers plot it all out and then they, they, then they sort of, um, figure out what happens in between the lines, so to speak. But I think Mm -hmm. as I think about even writing nonfiction, um, where it's, I think it's much more plotted out essentially, but there's still surprises that happen. And I still experience in, you know, longer lengths of writing, when something is almost demanding to be a part of the book that you didn't really think beforehand or something that you were convinced was definitely going to be a part of the book it just feels like a stranger at the party you know and eventually needs mm-hmm. to get kicked out because they're being obnoxious yeah. and they got drunk you know <laughs> like and they, it's just time to go um do you find that to be true as well in writing fiction oh yeah and i love the surprises like those those moments when you're writing a story and it feels like like this idea that suddenly is being written isn't something that you thought up. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a scene in, in Light from Distant Stars where the main character's in the hospital room. And as I was writing the scene, I journal about this later, as I was writing the scene, I was just thinking, I'm missing something. I'm like, I'm missing, something is happening here that I'm not seeing. Um, and then I realized there was a boy outside of his room. And so I just wrote my way into him meeting this boy. And then this boy and his father end up becoming a huge part of the story. Um, and I'd never saw that coming. You know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't plan that. I didn't, I didn't even free write it. It was like in the moment of writing, this boy appeared. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the stuff that is just so much fun. Yes, I again, I've I've had well, certainly I haven't I haven't written fiction, so I haven't had anything just like that. But I but I have had certain moments where, like I do remember one time a line came to me, 
and I hadn't even started the book yet, but mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about it and it, you know, sort of the ideas were developed. And then this gorgeous line came to me yeah. and I, I wrote yeah. it down and then I just saved it somewhere and I had no idea where it was going to be uh, <laughs> used. I really didn't. Uh, and it was in the book whole, uh, my second book. Um, and it turned out to be the starting of my favorite chapter, the midrash on Jesus in the wilderness. And, nice. um, and it, it, so like, I, I love that when, you know, and it is like, it isn't just all coming from your heart and soul and mind. It, it's coming from somewhere yeah. else too. And I love that about writing. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. It definitely feels like there's something, there's something outside of me that is, that I'm participating with and, mm-hmm. you know, somehow, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it feels that that's how, that's the way it feels. Well, and does it feel like to you, I mean, let me explain what I, let me say what I want to say and then I'll ask if you disagree mm-hmm. or agree versus yeah. like, like making it sound like a question, but I'm really just trying to say something. <laughs> I am trying to say something and then I'll ask you if, what you think about it. Um, I think we fail when we overly try to explain what that thing is, you know, Mm. is it a muse? Is it a whatever? I've heard Elizabeth Gilbert describe it as sort of a, you know, uh, this, this literal thing that sort of exists that like the idea for a book is floating around out there essentially. Mm. And maybe that's true. And I love that if that's true, but I don't want to overly define it. I just, it's something, it's something Mm. real. It's there and it visits you from time to time. If whether that's some subconscious part Mm. of your subconscious, Maybe the boy under the window, you know, you maybe you were that boy under the window at some point in your childhood mm-hmm. and you forgot it, and but it came back to you and you don't, you know, so who knows? Yeah. Who cares? Do you feel the need to define what that is or not? I don't feel the need to define it as much as I just want to be in it or right. be a part of it or be, you know, participating with it. And I feel like it happens more often when I'm consistent with my writing, you know, like when I'm making time for it, I feel like there's definitely more of those instances that are happening. And, and yeah, definitely. I mean, I, defining it isn't maybe later, maybe, maybe later in my life, I'll become more curious as to nailing down, you know, where exactly I think that comes from. But at, you know, at this point, in 2019, I just, I want to just experience it more. Yes. Me too. I, I, I love that. I love that answer like that. You, you want to find that space because it really is magic. I mean, whatever it is, it, it, it feels that connection, that flow that oh, I love it. So one of the, uh, one of the themes that I feel like that you tend to revisit is death in your novels true or not true and even if it's not true what are some other themes that you tend to revisit yeah definitely true i mean i feel like i haven't i don't know if unhealthy is the right adjective but i i am i'm kind of obsessed with death as far as just so curious you know i'm so curious about death and everything that surrounds it, what, you know, the, the actual process of dying and then how that affects the people who witness it, the people who are, you know, in that person's relational spheres. Um, yeah, I'm just really curious about it. And so it, that has shown up a lot and I think it will, I don't know, for the foreseeable future, it probably will. Um, I probably because to me, it's like the ultimate unanswerable question. You know, I I don't know if I'll ever get any kind of closure on that here, but so that's one. Yeah, that's definitely a huge one. Another one that has been racking my brain recently is, is memory. And this one came out in the day the angels fell just in the way it's set up with Samuel remembering things. Uh, But light from distant stars takes that to another level in that, you know, the main character is, he's remembering something that, you know, the way that he remembers it doesn't necessarily jive with, you know, the natural world as we know it. So there are things about it that, that probably couldn't have happened. Um, 
but that's how he remembers it. And my, and my curiosity about memory has really come up from the co-writing work that I do. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of co-writing with older folks who are trying to get their memoirs down. And it just started to happen time and time again, where people that I would be interviewing, um, you know, sometimes I'd be talking to a parent and a child and they would have drastically different memories of the same event. And, you know, it's only possible that one of them is remembering this thing correctly, but they are both completely sure that they are remembering it correctly. And so someone's mistaken, you know, like someone's, someone's recollection of events is completely off. Yeah. And that is both interesting and worrying to me that we create these histories in our minds of things that didn't happen or didn't happen the way we remember them. And so anyway, as I was thinking more about that, I was, I, I, I got interested with Cohen, the, the protagonist and the memories that he had of his father and how his interpretation of those memories and actually, and the things that he actually remembered determined his present relationship with his dad. And I became really interested in you know, what would it take for him to see those memories in a different way, or even to realize that he had maybe forgotten something that when remembered changed absolutely everything? Yes. Well, I think that's so good. And I think it's so true that no matter how trivial or big the, the details, the memory, the thing, the, you know, we, we all, because of our filters and our experiences and our expectations, what we see and experience is sometimes very of the same exact moment is sometimes mm. very different from what someone yeah. else does. I mean, you know, um, I think even eyewitness accounts are, are said to be like not even that accurate or that helpful in terms of investigations because people experience things so differently. And then when you add the layers of love and betrayal and conflict mm. and stuff in there in terms of family, I think that's a very interesting, um, like, inquiry you know what is yeah. how does memory have to do with healing and unhealing the inability to heal you know and all yes. that stuff it's so good yeah no it's to totally true um and even you know even the way that we create memories i read an article not too long ago about how the brain works and i had always thought of memories as you know like a windows computer where if I want to think back on something, I click on the file folder yep. it, and it resurrects this image in my mind of what has happened mm -hmm. where, I mean, and that's apparently not how memories work at all. It's, it's, you know, we create these tracks in our minds of telling ourselves the story of how things happen. And we tell ourselves this story so many times that it becomes a memory. And I mean, that's just so crazy to think about you know, how, how have I told myself the memory of the year when my parents got me a racetrack for Christmas? You know, mm -hmm. like I've told myself that memory so many times, but I'm, I'm sure that what I'm now telling myself, you know, a lot of it probably didn't even happen. <laughs> right, right, right. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's interesting too, that like sort of you know, we think of it like a, yeah, like a file you can click or like a video that you can just watch, you know, mm -hmm. and see it's seeing it in its entirety. And I think, no, it's more like these feelings that get encoded, you know, mm -hmm. over and over again and get sort of, um, yeah, translated into events that may or may not have, have even recur occurred mm. you know it's it's amazing yeah. so well yeah. I, I i have i have so many other questions sean and if i don't and if i don't get going we're going to keep we're going to keep you on here <laughs> until late into the night so i do want to ask you about sort of the genre of christian publishing and what are you think like what do you think of the label christian writer and um why do you continue to choose to navigate in the world of christian publishing uh so the yeah, I, I don't like the term Christian I, Christian fiction. I really dislike um, Christian writer. Eh, okay, I mean you're you Christian, like Christian, right? But do you like Christian pizza or Christian <laughs> tacos? You know, that's I mean, it, I, right? Like I, I do. I think the pro. Well, 
I guess the the term Christian fiction must must still have some value, or people wouldn't use it. I think the problem is that what it really represents is, you know, no swearing, no sex. Um, you know, there's certain list of things that are that are unacceptable or cannot be in in Christian fiction in most people's minds. You know, I'm talking 95 yeah. percent of people's minds. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's problematic. Um, but I'm in that world, you know, Ravel is my publisher and they've been wonderful to work with. And I feel like they've been very flexible as far as what, you know, what they've allowed me to write and what they've been okay with me exploring. Um, so I'm happy, you know, I, I've loved working with Kelsey and we've got a few more books coming out. So, um, yeah, I really love working with them, but I find it very problematic. This idea that, um, you know, something can be labeled Christian fiction when Marilyn Robinson's books mm-hmm. are not considered Christian fiction. Or, you know, I mean, you could make a list of, of hundreds of probably works that um, that are beautiful and convey, you know, a message that's consistent with the love of God, and yet they're not considered Christian because of, you know, certain elements or even just because of who the publisher is. So, um, yeah, I'm not crazy about the term. I don't consider myself to be, uh, you know, someone who writes Christian fiction. Um, but I'm, I'm in the CBA right now. So it's just something I have to navigate. Yeah. And I think you, you know, even within it, you have and can establish yourself as a kind of writer within it. So that when I give your book to people, which I have, I don't say, oh, hey, this is a great, you know, work of Christian fiction, or they don't ask, hey, is this, you know, mm-hmm. is it Christian? Um, mm-hmm. I just say this is a novel that I've really enjoyed, you know, so, um, but in the, in the segment of publishing where there's markets and, you know, that, that, that kind of thing, I think it is worth, um, I mean, I just think it's worth every once in a while poking at. Um, and it's not even to publishing, but it's more, I, my poke would be to readers. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you have to, if you feel like you have to read a Christian book to stay safe or something, you know, a Christian fiction book, I, I would just would poke at that and say, well, that's interesting. Why? <laughs> and what yeah. Does yeah. Mean, what does that yeah. mean to you? And I, I think it might mean a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. So yeah, a handful of my, you know, poorer reviews, um, are from people who literally will write, you know, love the writing, great story, but I'm not sure how this is Christian, you know, yeah, two yeah. stars or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, it's, it's just a, it's an interesting place. Yeah. Well, in that, um, moving on to just writing in general, I feel like I read, I, I, I encounter a lot of people who have small platforms, but big ideas and I love their idea, but they're frustrated because they don't have the platform to get a publisher. What would you say to someone who has a small platform and a big idea? Mm. Well, if you're talking about fiction, you know, go for it because I, you know, within the world of fiction platform is, is a much smaller, um, plays a much smaller role. So it's, it's not. Um, you know, it's not as important, but just in writing in general, we had a writer's retreat last week and we were talking with a lot of beginning writers who had that question, you know, what, what should I do? I, I, I want to write, but I feel like, you know, when am I ever going to get a blog that has 10,000 views per month or, you know, Mm -hmm. how can I get 10,000 Facebook fans or whatever? And, oh, I hate those. I, I mean, I, I just, I find it frustrating. I find it sad when writers get caught up in that to the extent that it keeps them from writing or discourages them in any way, because you just have to write. I mean, I know it's probably sounds trite and it probably sounds sim- overly simplistic, but you know, I wrote from the time I got out of college, which, you know, 22 until I was about 37, 38 years old, I wrote just about every day. I mean, you know, there were weeks that in months probably where I missed, but my goal was to write every day. And then especially once I started blogging in 2008, 2009, um, five times a week, you know, whatever, however many days that is a year I was writing. And I think if you write and if you write consistently, 
Um, and if you are always trying to improve, the opportunities will come along. Um, and I don't think it matters if you have a huge platform. I don't think it matters uh, how many followers you have. Um, I don't think it, it, it really matters. I don't think anything else really matters. It, it's just that consistency, the improvement. And if you put yourself on a trajectory that, you know, five years from now, you're going to be 30 times better as a writer and have written a couple hundred thousand words, um, you know, you can't go wrong. I agree. I think that the simple act of writing, if you care about it, even if you never show it to anybody, which you should, and we can talk about that, mm. but you will, you will become a better and better writer. Um, and if you read your stuff back to yourself out loud, right. Are you, are you a fan of that? John blaze is always saying yeah, that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and, and, and I think he's right. Like you don't have any idea what it sounds like until, you know, first of all, give it a few days, right. Uh, after you've written and then just read, you know, read two or three pages mm -hmm. and see how it flows, see how it sounds. Um, but, but what, what would you say, to people who are ready to get some feedback from someone, uh, who, who should they send it to in terms of getting good feedback to become a better kind of writer or to find their voice or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, you do have to be careful, right, about who you give it to yeah. because they can either end up being like the parents that we see on American Idol who are like, oh, my kid's the mm -hmm. best singer in the world, you know, and then right. they start singing. You're like, oh, my goodness. They're terrible. So yeah. you don't you don't want to give it to someone who's just going to praise it and, you know, think you're amazing. But you also, I think, need to be careful that you're giving your work to someone who reads the genre that you're writing in. So, yeah. you know, if your mother loves romance and you're trying to write mystery or literary or memoir, like maybe she's not the right person, you know, like, I don't, I think you have to be really careful about who those beta readers are, that they've read the kind of stuff that you're trying to write. Um, and that they can give you also, there's not, there, there aren't a lot of people in the world who can read something and recognize what it is about that piece that works or doesn't work. So those kinds of people are not, you know, everywhere. Um, a lot of, you can give your stuff to and they'll immediately be able to tell you the effect that it has on them whether they like it or not how it makes them feel but there aren't a ton of people who can who can do that and then tell you why or at least you know give you some kind of a hint into uh, what's making it work or not and uh, you might have to search a little bit for those kinds of folks yeah in my experience I think I mean uh, you've talked about your wife and I've talked about my wife my wife is just one of my best editors and she's, she's ruthless. I mean, she, she, she really is. Yeah. And what's great yeah. about her is she, she doesn't try to change my voice or change what I'm trying to say, but she can tell when I'm pushing mm. too hard or when I'm not typically her, her biggest piece of feedback from me is that I'm not making the connections between the thoughts enough. Like I'll assume mm. people are picking up what I'm putting down a little too much and I'll move on. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Oh, you're missing a little transition here. You're missing, you're missing a, a natural, you know, connection here. Or, and, um, I mean, for the last, my last two books, her, her feedback is really, really helpful, but also really, yeah. really like harsh. I mean, you know, and, and, oh, and it needs I, to be harsh, but like, oh, I was so mad. I mean, seriously, we went on a, about an hour and a half walk and that's how she, cause she read it and she'd written some stuff down, but I like, I go, before I read your feedback, I just want to hear it. And we, um, at the end of the walk, I just had to like, and she said, okay, I have one more thing to say to you and you're going to get so mad at me. And then she said it and I did get mad at her. And then I was like, I just need I just need to walk by myself now. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that's so funny. My wife has the same exact ministry. Yeah. She is like, and she's really good at telling me the things that work, you uh -huh. know, like, yeah. like, yeah. um, I'm really drawn into the story and here are the things that I think you're doing really well. And, but just when I start to feel like, Oh, finally a story that I don't have to completely rework. <laughs> she'll say something like, but I really think this should be written in first person or, you know, but this voice, 
that you've used, it's just not, it's just not hitting it home for me. Yes. I'm like, Oh really? That's great. That's, that's wonderful. That's Thank great you. feedback. I hate you very much. Yeah, I know. No, I think I remember reading a tweet that you said, because Miley, I mean, she's so great. And, and when Miley and Mary were together, we realized why, you know, they're both spiritual directors. I mean, they, they, they both just have such a, such a similar sense, but I think I remember you tweeting that thing one time, like after 60,000 oh, words, yeah. I got a piece of feedback that I should change the tense from third person to first yes. person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is yeah. there an auto thing I can do with that? Can I just press a button and change that? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it usually involves rewriting significant portions, but I, you know, I get really upset at first and I feel like seriously, um, but as I work through that, I I come back to just being really appreciative that I have someone in my life who can be honest with me and, you know, give me the stuff that I need to hear because you want to hear that from your beta reader, right? You don't want to hear that from the first hundred people that read your book and review it. So, right. After it's um, done, after it's published for sure. Yeah. And I think there is a blindness. I mean, no matter how much you work on it, no matter how much you love it, no matter how many revisions you've personally given to it, it's like the memory thing. It's like you only see it from a certain perspective. You can't see it from all perspectives. And so mm. that's why it's so important. And I think, so how, how have you learned? Um, well, I'm going to, I want to say two things. One, it's just occurring to me, and I don't mean to be gender weird here, but like for any female writers who are out there, I, I, I would say, and I, I hate that this is true. I don't know that it's true, but I think it's true that if you're a female writer with a husband, for example, it's probably less likely that your, <laughs> your husband's going to be the kind of editor that, that we described, right, as Miley mm -hmm. and Mary are. And I, I, I don't want to be weird with that. But if it's not your spouse, um, who, who is it? How do you find that person? Mm -hmm. Um, you can try small writing retreats yeah. where you might meet people who, you know, have the same interests. I know we do a really small writers retreat every year and in the Facebook group afterwards, we're always seeing people who've connected out of that and are now sharing work with each other. I know the small writers group started out of that retreat that we did. So that can be a great way to meet people. Um, you know, local writers groups, another good way. Um, if there are people in the blogging world that you like, and if you're a blogger, um, you know, I think you're, I think most people would be surprised if they reach out to other writers and say, Hey, I appreciate the writing that you do. I think your writing is great. Um, and just start to generate a relationship with other writers, you yeah. know, and that's, that can open up those opportunities to get, to get good feedback. Well, and I want to say too, it's just occurring to me, I'm just remembering, I bought your book on writing uh, and read it and thought, and this was really before I knew you personally. Um, I think we had just maybe gone back and forth a few times on Twitter or something. So I, I, and so remind us, I just can't remember what the title is, but you wrote a book on writing. Yeah, it's called Building a Life Out of Words. And it just kind of told the story of um, what my family and I went through when I left the work that I had been doing and start to, started to uh, try to make a living as a writer, mm -hmm. building yeah. a life out of words. Yeah. Well, and it is sort of part memoir, but it really is a great um, primer for how to write and, and what the process mm -hmm. is. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Okay, Sean, a couple more questions. Um, first of all, I'm just realizing like your beautiful book, which is getting so many great reviews from the folks that are reading it now, including myself, anything else you want to say about it in terms of teasing and tasting? I, I, I never know how to interview an author about a fiction book because I don't know mm. what questions, to, I don't want to give anything away that shouldn't be given yeah. away. So is there anything else you want to say about A Light from Distant Stars? Yeah, I, you know, I think for me, the other thing that i really love about fiction and something that is it comes into all of my fiction is the sort of childish belief that I have that there are things um, just outside the realm of reality that 
you know, that, that we think we see, or we kind of think we interact with. And I love to write stories about those things. And so, you know, with Cohen, it's this memory that he has of these two kids who he met and an adventure that they went on. And again, you know, it comes back into him remembering this, how much of what he's remembering is true, how much is not true. And, um, so that aspect of it was really fun. And I got that from Neil Gaiman after I read Ocean at the End of the Lane, you know, I don't know, six, seven years ago. That book just had such a profound impact on me. And I loved it so much. And uh, so, yeah, so those are the kinds of stories that I like to write. The other thing, though, is, I mean, there is a, a religious or spiritual, maybe is a better word, element to Cohen's to Cohen's journey and his exploration. And I think parallel to him trying to rediscover his relationship with his father um, is also a journey that he's going on to to think back on the faith of his childhood and try to figure out how much of that um, still makes sense to him or how much of that is still real to him. And you know, I think that that comes out of my own personal journey, but it was also fun exploring that. At the end of every section, he sits down with a priest and has confession. And during those confessions, um, you know, he talks about his dad, he talks about his doubt. And, and those were really fun sections for me to write out because it just kind of let me explore a little bit more of maybe what he had gone through as a child um, in the church that he grew up in. And then why, you know, he grew up in a very charismatic, uh, conservative church. And, you know, as an adult now, he's confessing to an Episcopal priest. So, you know, how did he go from A to B? And, um, you know, where is he with God at that point in his life? And, and he's not really sure. So that that's part of the journey as well. I love that device. I think that's a really cool storytelling device that adds a, a mystical, spiritual element to recounting. Mm-hmm your life, mm-hmm. you know, this confessional yeah. booth. It's, it's very, I think it's very compelling. Um, okay. I, I want to ask, gosh, maybe two more questions than we are. Uh, we really are shoot running out of time, but, uh, this is not about fiction. It's about nonfiction, but what do you wish, what are you wishing? What are you hungering for from nonfiction spiritual writers to write about? What do you wish they oh. would write about these days? Wow. That's a great question. Um, trying to come up with an idea for my next book. So, you know, yeah, sure. I gotcha. I gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) Let me give you five. Um, (laughs) no, no, it's funny when I was, let's see, I was, uh, boy, when when did blue like jazz come out? I feel like when I read that, you know, at the time that was so different. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was just such a departure from so much of what was going on in the, you know, spiritual memoir, section of the bookstore. Um, or at least it felt that way to me. Maybe there were others, but that, that really just struck me. And so I think I would just love to see somebody break that mold again, you know, and I don't, I I mean, if I knew what that looked like, I would do it, but I don't, I just want to see somebody write something because I feel like so much of what has come since then is, is that blue like jazz feel the confessional, um, you know, journey story. Um, but yeah, I don't even know what I'm, what I'm looking for, but I want something that someone reads and says, Sean, you have to read this. Like this is, this is unlike anything else I've read recently. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'd like to see. I wonder, you know, as you say that I haven't thought about blue like jazz for a while, but had such a profound impact, especially on people who, and I think it probably came out early 2000s, don't you think? I mean, mm, 2001, yeah. two, mm. three, four, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that was sort of right before at least evangelical Christians really, it was like when Brian McLaren started writing his stuff, mm-hmm. but it was before the major break of like, of evangelical Christians saying, is there, is this all there is? Like, cause this really mm. feels confining. Yeah. And I think the, especially the 
the time that he spends at college. It's such a, you know, this, uh, mm. I can't remember the college, but it's in Portland. It's very progressive. It's like uber, beyond progressive. And I think it was sort of prophetic in the sense that like, here's a evangelical kid living in a very pluralistic mm. world. And it imagined the journey of trying to find answers when you'd given up your old questions, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and you were never going to get the answers that you used to get at a place like that. And so I, I wonder if it was in a sense prophetic, cause here we are living in a world and we were just talking before we pressed record about a situation I'm going through where, you know, in the spiritual world, I feel crazy for thinking what I think. Mm. And people think I'm crazy for thinking what I think, but not yeah. everybody certain. And people are having a very hard time having conversations about how the Bible interacts with LGBTQ issues or other things, even sometimes racial re reconciliation, because one side is saying the Bible clearly says dot, dot, dot. Mm. And the other side is saying it, it, you know, that's not even how I see the Bible at all. And so there's this sort of mm. civil war happening among <laughs> Christians at least. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, that, that hope that something would be written that would get us the next 20 years, you know, that would give mm. us a picture about how to live, um, in 20 years from now. So we can have some hope that we can get there, you know, cause it's very confusing right now, I think. Yeah. I think increasingly for me, what I would love to see someone write is a book that had the same the same relatability um, as Donald Miller managed, but somehow writing about um, Christianity and empire. Oh, yeah. Because I, I feel like, you know, I, I watch the news and I see what some evangelical Christians are espousing as far as in relation to the United States. And it just blows me away. I mean, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine being in that same space of thought. Yeah. And if somebody could somehow, you know, write about that in a way that, that just drew us in and I don't know, maybe that's what I'm looking for because I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Well, and are you even saying like in a kind of a tell it slant kind of a way, right? Like not a, yeah, not a, not necessarily, you know, cause I think, I think a Brian Zond could do that. I think a Pete Enns could exactly. do that. I think, and they've done it really, really well. Um, but yes. I think what I hear you saying is, can there be a more, yeah, a more tell it slant, a parable that, that hits on seven or eight levels, um, according to what you can handle, you know, that's um, exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly it. The parable thing. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, yes, Brian Zond hits these types of things in such a beautiful way. And, um, but I think, I think he tells it head on, you know, like, this is how it is. This is what I believe. This is the scripture that backs it up, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas I would love to see a creative nonfiction approach um, that was somebody's story, you know, yeah. however, however that interacted with that. Um, yeah. You know, people are going to really disagree with me on this one, I think, probably. Um, but I'm actually a big Game of Thrones fan. Um, mm -hmm. I, I watched the whole series, and now I'm reading the books. Okay. And, um, and especially the TV series, you know, trigger warnings. There is graphic sex, graphic violence. Gra just in, It's not for everybody, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. But um, the plot lines of good and evil and and characters that you think are evil, but really are good. Mm. And you think are good and really are evil. And then where it all goes, uh, in terms of who you're cheering for, who you're cheering against. Uh, and then at the, at the, in the end, the last season, it, the, some of the dialogue is so rich and beautiful mm. that it, it, it's, it's not what you're talking about necessarily, but the spiritual themes are so strong in it of life yeah. and death and rebirth and character and future and hope. And mm -hmm. so, um, that's not it. I mean, but it, but it's closer than most people think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, and I would say, especially the book, like if you're not, the book is, the books are well-written 
and it's they're they're just they don't have the at in any way shape or form the same sort of mm. feel as the tv show does which not yeah. everyone should watch the tv show because it's yeah it is brutal, but but yeah. that's the that's the beauty of fiction right and that's you know that is why i think it's in mark where it says that jesus didn't didn't ever talk to the people without telling stories yeah um that is what good fiction can do for us um you know, I grew up, quick story here, I grew up, well, right after Miley and I got married, we attended a church in Florida, a very conservative church, and we were at a small group one time, and I can't remember how this story came up, or how, how the topic came up, but at one point, the small group leader says, well, you know, I mean, fiction means lies, so <laughs> you shouldn't read fiction. And Miley and I, English majors, yeah. are just like sitting there like deer in headlights, you know, like, yeah. what is she talking about? Um, but I, you know, even though that's a radical, that's a radical example, I, I think a lot of people feel that way. Like, I think a lot of people, not that fiction is lies, but like, I think a lot of people feel like, well, where's the value? You know, fiction, it's a nice escape, but um, what does it really do for us? But I think what you're talking about there with Game of Thrones, that is what good fiction does. And that is why it's important because it, it shows us things from a different angle. Um, and it, I think it allows us to think about things differently. Exactly. Exactly. Because we don't know what to do with it. You know, when we encounter mm -hmm. a character who, and we've all, like some of the most delicious writing that I know about is when you have a bad like a, a person that's really not, like doesn't have good character, you know, yeah. is a good yeah. character, but has sort yeah. of some despicable qualities, but you're rooting for them. And yeah. then just go like, why am I rooting for them? I mean, yeah. that's the kind of writing that, that again, enables you to say, well, the human condition is mixed. I mean, every one of us is, I like Lutheran theology. We're sinner and saint, you know, we're, it's, mm. it's, we're, we're, we're both. And it's not even half, mm. half, it's all, all, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, and, and, and fiction is surprising, right? And so mm. I think it's very difficult. So in my, in my field, which is Christian nonfiction, and I'm trying to, even for me, I'm, you know, we could talk about where I'm going with that or where I'm not going with that in terms of that genre, but it, it's very hard to surprise anybody. Do you know what mm. I mean? It, oh, it, yeah. It's like no matter what what fresh take, you, you might have a fresh take, you mm. might, but even the great nonfiction Christian folks, we've, we've, we've mentioned some, and let's, let's mm -hmm. say, you know, Rachel Held Evans, um, peace be upon her, of course, but, mm. you know, and others, Brian Zahn, we've said, Richard Rohr, it's it's delightful maybe it's but it's not necessarily surprising and that's what fiction mm. can do it takes you somewhere uh and and the twists and turns reflect really what the kind of relationship with god we probably actually do have you know mm. um mm. but but don't let ourselves have mm -hmm. maybe yeah maybe yeah yeah oh man okay well sean um so dot, dot, dot on the car trip that I'll take with a pack of cigarettes <laughs> and a Slim Jim, some Slim Jims to spend time with you guys out there and your kids and stuff. Um, but Light from Distant Stars is out. You can get it anywhere you buy books. Is there a favorite? I mean, people ask me this. Is there a favorite place that people should order it from? I never have a good answer. Do you, do you uh, if you want to... If if you want to go independent, I love Hearts and Minds Bookstore. Um, Byron Borger is just such a great purveyor of books, and he's he just champions good books. So, you know, that's a great independent place. Uh, but as an author, I don't think I'm supposed to be uh, partial. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, anywhere anywhere you can find it, it's great. Okay, so we're not going to be Sean's not going to be partial, but I, but I can be. So check out Hearts and Minds Bookstore. I'll put that on the link. I'll also put some other links too uh, to get Light from Distant Stars. And if you haven't read uh, some of Sean's other fiction, um, maybe start with Day the Angels Fell. That's, I just I absolutely love that. Uh, and is there going to be a third book? Do we know yet in that series, Sean? There, there is. There okay. is going to be a third book. I don't know when. Yeah. Okay. But there, I mean, I've got it in my mind. I've got, I've got the idea. Um, and yeah, Han Solo is, is, is going to be in this one, right? He's going to come back. 
Yeah. Huge role. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we've been, I mean, your, your readers have been demanding it. So it's, you know, it's good to, um, you know, it's good that he'll be a fallen angel actually. In, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chewbacca, no, he's not going to make it, but, yeah. but, uh, Han Solo <laughs> will. And so we're just very thankful for that. You're a responsive author. You know, you, you like to connect with your readers that way. And, and I know on your Patreon page that, you know, you, they, they actually, you know, you get, you people get to pick your next main character, which is really, really fun for as little as $1 right, right. a month, you know, so right. this is fantastic. Um, <laughs> kidding. Um, do you have any trips coming up, Sean, that you're going to be speaking or, uh, you know, doing workshops or anything coming up? Honey, I'll be right there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, that was I'm, Poppy, three years old. Oh, she wanted to say hello. Yes. Yeah. Um, she could have, she could have come right I'm in. I'm trying to think. Man, you caught me on the spot. I'm going to um, Montrose Writers Retreat. I think that's what it's called. That is in uh, the end of July. Um, we have a Writers Retreat, God's Whisper Writers Retreat, which we do every year. Um, and that comes around in June. And I will be at the the Louisiana book festival in Baton Rouge, which I think is the very end of October. Those are the ones that, that are springing to my mind right now. Okay. I'm going to try to get the links you all on the show notes for that. And, uh, for show notes, just go to steveweens.com slash show notes and you will find, and then search this episode, the one shot, just this good word, Sean Smucker. Um, if you're listening to this in like 2030, you know, uh, and in which case, check out Sean's 17 other books that, that, that yeah. Halo have put out. Uh, okay, man, any, any last words you want to share? Any last thoughts? Oh man, Steve, I appreciate you so much, man. I appreciate your friendship. I just, I love your writing. Hmm. I love the voice that you, um, that you've cultivated online and, that's yeah. Those are my last words. I love you. Wow. Love you too, man. I really do. And I, and I, I appreciate those words. Um, these are not dark days in my world right now, but definitely some challenging days. So to hear that, um, from someone like you and from you, not someone like you, but you, um, is tremendously encouraging. So thank you. Yeah. All right, buddy. Peace, my friend, and have a really, really great, um, rest of your day. Say hi to Poppy for me. <laughs> I will. Thanks, Steve. See you, man. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon. Patreon.com slash This Good Word. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do signed books and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy and we are in it together. <laughs>